0: from kqed
1: and welcome back to forum i'm scott Schaefer, and for the rest of the hour we're going to be getting into the rising tension and political pressure around efforts to reopen public schools in the bay area few issues touch people more than uh whether or not their kids can go to school As teacher unions insist on vaccinating teachers before they return to the classroom, it is creating a lot of controversy. And joining us now to discuss the latest is KQED Senior Editor for Education and Equity, Julia McAvoy. Good morning, Julia.
2: Good morning, Scott. How
1: are you? I'm doing well, but parents, not so much. Uh, What exactly is the toll? Uh, of these schools being closed, not of course not all of them are closed, especially private schools. But we'll talk more about that. But what, what 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 is the toll at this point on on parents and especially on kids?
2: Yeah, we I mean we have lots of evidence that there is you know learning loss um, across the board, and especially for kids who are most at risk or maybe in the most under resourced schools to begin with, it has been exacerbated um, for them. We've heard from a lot of active parents uh, who have means who are talking about their child's uh, mental well-being Uh, we have you know ucsf uh, pediatricians saying that they're seeing an increase in emergency room visits on the parts of students due to mental health issues Um, and just kids who are disengaging and can't be found and aren't participating in school so i think the pain you know is very real uh, among a lot of different factions of parents and students and you know, even teachers who are under the grind of trying to balance both uh, distance learning and their own children in some cases. So yeah, it's a tough moment right now. And I think the frustration with why we cannot reopen schools has boiled up now to become, you know, a political issue as we, perhaps we knew would happen eventually.
1: Yeah, and you know, different school districts are making different decisions. I mean, Napa uh, has open, has been open for a while. Berkeley is moving now toward vaccinating teachers. What, what accounts do you think for the difference, the different approach that these different school districts and counties are taking?
2: I think that, you know, when when I look across the spectrum of the Bay Area and you look at the places that have reopened besides the charters and the private schools, when you look at the small districts that have been able to figure it out, what you see is kind of a more of a culture of trust and also very strong, I would say, leadership on the part of the superintendent. These are people who began meeting immediately uh, after school shut down back in March and began not only figuring out distance learning, but concurrently thinking ahead to how can we reopen schools. So they were doing two things at once, which is really not easy. And when you get into larger districts with incredibly intensive logistics involved, it's harder to do that. But I would say consistently, the schools that have opened, Napa Valley, uh, Larkspur Corte Madera, Orinda, Piedmont, these are smaller districts that had a culture of trust to begin with and strong leadership that said, look, this is what we're gonna do. Let's figure out how we're going to do it. Um, even from the beginning, Scott, like, you know, Itoko Garcia at, uh, in Marin at um, Martin Luther King Bayside, he said, I sat with my teachers and I said, what are you afraid of? And they said this. And he said, great, going to take care of that right now. Came back again next week. Now, what are you afraid of? It was this. Great, we're going to take care of it. If you can figure out how to meet the needs of teachers who are fearful and parents who are fearful, um, I think you can make progress. And I think that's just been harder to do in districts like Oakland and San Francisco, where there were, you know, not San Francisco didn't have a strike, but Oakland did, right? And it's just different uh, type, type of dynamic between the board, the district, and the union.
1: We're talking with Julia McAvoy. She's a senior editor at KQED for education and equity. We're talking about the push to get schools open safely, of course. And this is what we call a talker. People love to talk about this and have a lot to say. So I'm gonna open up the phones now. Give us a call at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch, of course, on Twitter and Facebook We're at KQED Forum or email us as well. You can do that at forum at KQED.org. Um, What are you hearing, Julia, um, in terms of these uh, districts? And I mean, some districts are insisting and some unions, maybe I should say, that teachers be vaccinated before the schools open. Um, Did that? I would guess that did not happen in some of those smaller districts you were talking about a moment ago.
2: Very true. Um, It did did not, although Napa Valley has now given its first vaccination shot to 950 teachers and the superintendent of schools earlier this week said they're waiting on the the second shots and the supplies dwindling. So that's an interesting Hmm. situation up there. But you're right, Scott. Um, What we saw yesterday was Berkeley Unified finally coming to an agreement with their teachers. And how did they do that? Well, they basically got together with the city and said, we're going to vaccinate every teacher and then and then you're going to go back. And the teachers are like, great. You know, we want vaccinations and we want to get back, so let's make it happen. So that's depending, though, again, on vaccine supply. But they're looking really at a hard date of reopening uh, for for younger grades of March 29th, and even middle and high schools uh, grades by by the uh, the mid of April, with the caveat, Scott, that they still need to come up with how uh, the hybrid instructional model will actually work. And that's that's really. A difficult nut to crack. There's a lot of things that go into that.
1: Yeah, and what are you hearing about uh, rates of transmission? I mean, obviously, the obvious concern, of course, is either kids getting infected or teachers getting infected, the kids bringing it home to their grandparents or parents. Uh, what, what's happening in that regard?
2: Yeah, I mean, the CDC has uh, come out with data from North Carolina, citing studies from North Carolina and Wisconsin, that show that rates of transmission in school really there's no there are not outbreaks in schools that have reopened there may be cases but those case rates are no greater than the community transmission and interestingly in napa valley which has been posting its weekly rates of COVID cases among teachers and students and they've separated out the students who are in classrooms in hybrid learning and those students who are remaining in distance learning and if you look at that data since october the kids who are at home learning actually have higher rates of hmm. COVID cases than the kids who are coming in and out of school. And hmm. I think, you know, people tend to think, well, gosh, maybe that shows us that classrooms are safer. We've got all these protocols in place if you do it right, if the, if the district delivers on all of the protocols and and that's a safer place for kids to be than maybe hanging out on the corner with their friends, af, you know, after they're through trying to do distance learning in the, in in their houses.
1: And, and as you know, Julia, there are a lot of equity issues raised here. You talked about charter schools and private schools, religious schools, Catholic schools. Uh, they have been open longer than some of the public schools. Most of the public schools. What are what are some of the uh, what are some of those issues that uh, we, you know? Of course, COVID, the pandemic in general, has exposed or underscored some of the uh, issues around access to health care and also, uh, you know, people who don't have the option of working from home. Uh, How does it how do all those things relate to schools?
2: Yes, it's very similar, Scott, as you just said, all the inequities that existed before COVID uh, under resourced schools, uh, kids who, you know, I think there's a statistic that says, um, that schools in Oakland are really failing uh, black children in terms of their reading uh, literacy levels. I think just about 18% of black children in Oakland read it at level. And that speaks to a deep failure on the part of the school system to serve those children well. So I think COVID is, is indeed exacerbating that. And uh, I think that that's a huge concern in terms of let's look at English language learners. Um, there's a lot of data out, uh, I think from the PPIC and others that are saying uh, these children are the ones who are who are falling furthest behind at this moment. And uh, if parents are working and frontline workers, they can't supervise their children at home. And that means those kids uh, could be on their own. Whereas you know, if you've got more money and uh, you've got a, an office and a child at home with you while you're working, you can supervise your children at home. And then you can in fact enroll them in a camp after, you know, the morning learning takes place and put them in a camp pod where they can be getting exercise and socialization there. And we know several parents, you know, who are are choosing that kind of route. So it's very different depending on your means and where you started out in this game.
1: And so the pandemic is going to exacerbate some of those uh, differences and inequities that existed. Uh, Some call them pre-existing conditions, you know, before the pandemic.
2: Correct. Yeah. I mean, you know, interestingly, our reporter Vanessa Ronconi has been looking at this group called the Oakland Reach in Oakland. Um, they really were critical of their schools to begin with, and they've taken on distance learning as an opportunity to actually create a better learning environment distance wise for those students. And uh, they're trying to share that knowledge with the district because they are trying to see this as an opportunity to leapfrog the bad education that they were getting before and create something that is more positive and more successful with their students. And that's pretty provocative and may point to some of the, you know, shifts that could come out of this pandemic that might might turn out to be positive at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, let's hope so. We're talking with Julia McAvoy, Senior Editor for Education and Equity at KQED about the push to reopen schools here in the Bay Area. Give us a call at 866 733 6786. Again, 866 733 6786. And let's go to Hayward and Karen. Welcome.
3: Hi, thank you very much for taking my call. I just want to mention that while the reporter talked about districts having strong leadership and being smaller and therefore able to open and say that there was a community of trust, I think that she failed to mention that those places that she named, Napa, Larkspur, Arenda, San Ramon Valley, Piedmont, these are all places where you have a lot more affluence and these districts have more money and they were able to put the safety measures in place sooner and they also are not dealing with communities that have are where the parents are frontline workers and the communities of color and the parents who are the frontline workers are much more scared of sending their children back to school and when the surveys come back to the districts they show that 40 or more percent of the families don't want to send their children back to school and i think that that is a key difference that was not mentioned is the affluence of those districts that are open.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Could you stay on for a moment, Karen? Sure. Just don't go away. But I want to to give Julia a chance to respond to that, but then I want to ask you a question. Uh, Yeah, Julia, the the affluence, obviously that affects income and and, uh, resources, affects everything.
2: I couldn't agree with you more, Karen. I really couldn't agree with you more. And in fact, if you look to Napa Valley Unified, which has been open since Uh, November, 70% of the parents in Napa uh, have chosen not to send their kids into school two days a week in hybrid model. Why? One logical guess is that they're working. I think they have uh, over 50%, almost 60% of the population there are uh, Latino and they are frontline workers. They are socioeconomically in a certain category and they're going into work and they cannot be shuffling their children around to drop them off at eight in the morning and pick them up at, at 12 or 12:15 12. in the afternoon or bringing in a PM cohort to, uh, to go to school. So there are many uh, frontline workers and uh, you know Pecolia, In uh, this woman that we met in Oakland earlier that Vanessa Roncano has spoken with has also said, look, we've had a mom who died in our school at Manzanita Seed in Oakland. This is very real for us. And we have many parents who are advocating for schools to reopen who are saying they're doing it on behalf of kids of color. But in fact, most of those parents who have access to uh, networks and lobbying uh, are, are parents of affluence. And that they uh, just are not not suffering in the same ways that these other parents are. So I think that's a real point. But I also want to say that I think um, your other point is a really good one, which is that if the districts were meeting the needs and the under-resourced districts had the mechanisms, and maybe, Scott, the governor, is going to come through with the legislature. They were supposed to come out with a plan last uh, Friday that might create some uniformity. Any day planning. now, I think, the governor. Any day is. now, any minute now. And, and that may you know help bolster some of these districts to, in fact, meet the needs of uh, their teachers so that everyone feels safe getting back. Everyone, those yeah. parents that you're talking about, Karen, as well as the teachers.
1: Karen, what's the situation uh, in Hayward? And, and what's, what's your participation? What's your involvement?
3: So in Hayward, I am a parent and it is the only district I know of that has uh, stated publicly that they are not planning to reopen this year. And I believe that was based on the surveys that they gave to the parents and I am also a teacher in San Lorenzo Unified School District and um, our district just submitted this week a reopening plan after having the board pass it on Tuesday night and next week they're planning town halls for the parents. Um, We also have extreme budget cuts. They're looking at needing to cut $8.2 million and they had 43% of the parents in the fall in October say that they did not want their children back in school.
1: And how are you as a parent and other parents feeling about this decision just to say we're not reopening?
3: Um, I'm okay with it. I was one of the parents who answered the survey saying that I wouldn't send my child back to school during the pandemic. I don't feel comfortable. I don't think it's safe. I can't control other people's behavior. And when I am out in the community, as much as I try to restrict my um, going out, I constantly see people who are not following the guidelines, the mask guidelines and you know, the social distancing guidelines, et cetera.
1: All right. Well, Karen, thanks so much for joining us and sharing uh, the the view from Hayward. Really appreciate it this
3: morning. Thank you very much.
1: And, and Julia, a point that Karen made or alluded to is, is money. Uh, and, and on top of everything else, there are a lot of school districts that are losing children, and their funding is based on what's called the ADA, the Average Daily Attendance. So it's really a double whammy, isn't it?
2: Well, maybe down the road, but right now the funding is still tied to attendance before COVID hit. So while we're seeing some disenrollment, which was already a trend before COVID, uh, the the money factor shouldn't shouldn't be happening right. In fact, we're hearing some districts that are actually doing pretty well because they are not paying for things like transportation hmm. or uh, substitutes, and they're able to uh, actually have a pretty decent. Uh, balance sheet at this moment. Plus, you know, they're getting money from the CARES Act and the state to pay for the PPE and all this other stuff that they're supposed to be doing, right? So I think at the moment, uh, I'm not hearing about, screaming about we don't have enough money to get this, this stuff done. I think what we're hearing about is why can't we move forward? Why are, why are teachers unions not coming to agreements to put kids back in school? And And I think when you look at San Francisco in particular and their school board Um, You can see the heat really being turned up there right now.
1: Well, and yeah, of course, uh, making matters worse for them, and they brought it on themselves, is that they spent seven hours, I think, at one school board meeting talking about which schools to close, Abraham Lincoln, uh, you know, George Washington, Dianne Feinstein, before they even got to the question, I think, of whether the schools or how the schools or when the schools should reopen. So that's that's a controversy in some ways they have brought on themselves, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I think you can say that at this point. It's super interesting to understand the role of the school board in the mix of trying to get schools to reopen. I mean, the superintendent serves at their discretion and um, they are also, however, caught in between, you know, in this case, very strong labor groups, the teachers unions, we are very strong labor Uh, area really the bay area and particularly san francisco and teachers want to be reassured uh, that they're going to be safe and i think you know i spoke with the uh, president of the board of trustees in orinda district her name is liz doust last night she's uh this is in contra costa county mind you but she was saying just how really excruciating it has been to be a board member right now you know you're you're really brought in to do budgets and personnel stuff and suddenly you're doing crisis management and deciding on health outcomes for people's Mm. lives Mm. i mean it is brutal and as you know scott the emotions just run so high here so she's you know you're hearing from thousands of emails of people and you really want to be responsive to them and listen to them but what she did say is that her advice for the san francisco school board right now is look create a separate meeting just about school reopening make it weekly stay focused on that meeting weekly the needs of teachers and parents who are fearful and she said you've got to go above and beyond to make people feel safe that's How you're going to make kids uh, bring kids back into schools. And I think, you know, we've heard uh, the board talking about how they were going to meet weekly for months, but they, I don't think they've had that kind of singular focus on it. And that's why the political heat is is coming down on them, you know, right now, you know, including the New York Times columnists saying that they're like, yeah, the yeah, dude no, they're getting it from backyard. all, <laughs>
1: from all directions. It's definitely become a national story, and yeah. of course, uh, you know, for all of us, the vaccines cannot get here too fast. Uh, let me see if I can squeeze in one more comment, real quickly. Ruth writes, "You can't discuss reopening schools without discussing class size." My friend is in-person teaching, but she has only twelve in her class that isn't going to work for classes of 25 to 30. It's great if you vaccinate the teachers, but what happens when the kids go home to their multi-generational households? Uh, Very real considerations, right, Julia? I mean, these are the realities, especially in, in, yeah, go ahead.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a tough thing when you've got to create the small cohorts right now. I mean, there's nitty gritty questions about, you know, how far apart can they be? Is the CDC saying three to six feet or is it really six feet? You know, in Larkspur Court to Madeira, the teachers wanted six feet. The public health officials said it could be four feet, but Larkspur said, you want six feet, you got six feet. But, you know, then it gets into money. You know, how how, can you hire, uh, you know, the woman in Orinda was doused, was saying, you know, we couldn't do, we couldn't achieve this thing where we would hire a whole other set of yeah. teachers to teach PM versus yeah. AM. And so yeah. then teachers are doing double duty. Yeah. And it's well, very difficult. It's
1: very frustrating and difficult for everybody. But thank you so much for your reporting and for your, uh, sharing it all with us this morning. Julia McAvoy, Senior Editor for Education and Equity at KQED. I'm Scott Schaefer, and stick around. The next hour, Mina Kim will be here for the second hour of Forum. with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.